You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast with Ari Goldwag, recorded with Hashem's never-ending assistance in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel, 5784-2023. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayishlach. Yaakov Avinu returns to the Holy Land with his wives, with his 11 sons, and a 12th son, Binyamin, is about to be born, Benjamin. The Torah tells us that Vayihibak Shoyi that Rachel, as she's giving birth to Benjamin, she's giving birth to Binyamin, she has trouble in her birth. She ends up passing away from this birth. And they told her, don't worry, don't worry, uh, says the verse, says the verse, the second part of the verse says, don't be afraid because this is a son as well. And we're going to discuss at the end of this Medrash exactly what they were trying to do. What was the intent of the Mialdos, the women who were helping her give birth? Were they try- How are they trying to encourage her? But it's a sad moment. It's a sad moment. Rachel Imenu, we know of course... Till this very day, we can go to her grave. She cries for Am Yisrael. The Jewish people, when they leave the land of Israel, when they're exiled, they pass by her grave and they cry there and she cries for them. So we know that death is not the end. And Rachel Imenu's story lives on, but it's still sad. It's a sad story. She has Yosef, she has Binyamin. All of the Jewish people today come either from Yehuda or Benjamin. So she certainly has an incredible legacy down to this very day. But what is the depth of what we're supposed to take from the story of Rachel Imenu dying at the precipice of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel and in the death, in her death, Binyamin is born. Let's, let's learn together a medrash which takes us, off, takes us off in a different direction but at the same time teaches us a very interesting and important lesson which applies to this Pasuk. Says the Medrash, The Pasuk says that she was, she had a difficult time giving birth, etc. The Medrash tells us a story that took place in the times of the Greek persecution of the Jewish people. There were two students of the great sage Rabbi Yeshua, and these two students, in order to protect their identity, because anyone who was detected as being a Torah student, they would kill them. So they protected their identity by dressing up, just like the Greeks. Pogabahem sardiot echod. Very interestingly, and I mean, I'll offer a theory as to what's going on here, because on the surface of things, it's a little difficult to understand, but... There is a particular Sardiot. The Sardiot is a Greek general. Somebody very important in the Greek army. He met up with these two people. With these two students. Torah students. He looked at them and he saw the way they were dressed and he sensed, it seems, that something was strange about them. 
they didn't seem to be real Greeks, or they didn't seem to be real Hellenists, and yet they were dressed in the garb of, of Greeks. So he says to them, who are you? What's your story? You seem to be people who are uh, Torah scholars, students of the Torah. Why, why are you dressed like us? First of all, why are you dressed like us? Why are you trying to fake us out? If you're, if you're B'nai Torah, if you're Torah scholars, so then let yourself be killed. Let us identify you. Amrulai, so they saw the gig is up. So they said, They said, We are students of Torah, and we are willing to give our lives for the study of Torah. But, why do we dress up this way? We dressed up in Greek clothing because we don't have to call attention to ourselves and make it clear who we are. We're willing to die for the Torah. We're not going to stop studying the Torah. But we're not going to draw attention to ourselves so that we can be easily identified. Amar Lahem. So this Greek general said like this, I'm going to ask you three questions based on your Torah. And, if you give me a good answer, if you give me a, a satisfactory answer to my three questions about your Torah, then I'll let you go. But if you don't give me good answers for my questions, I'll destroy you. So it's very interesting, because this Sardiot, this Greek general, seems to be familiar with the Torah, seems to be familiar with different aspects of the Torah, and as we'll see, not only was he familiar with the Torah itself, but he was also familiar with the very teachings of their rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua, of their teacher. Amar Lehem. So he brings Pesukim, and as Mephoshim explained, in each of these Pesukim, he's trying to show them that they're wrong for studying Torah, that they're wrong for staying steadfast to their Torah ideology, to their Jewish identity. The first verse that he brings is like this. One verse says, it's a verse in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 13, Hashem. God stands up when, when He wants to judge. So one verse indicates that God stands in judgment. However, when the verse refers to the judgment that God does on the nations of the world, which is a pasuk in Yoel, in Joel chapter 4 verse 12, it says, I will sit in judgment on the Goyim, about the nations of the world. And the Eshed Nahad here explains that what he was implying was that, that God in standing in judgment over the nation, over, over the Jewish people, that's how he understood it. Clearly the first Pasuk is referring to the Jewish people. He stands in judgment over the Jewish people. When he judges the nations of the world, he sits in judgment. So clearly, the general was saying that God is more angry at the Jews, that God holds them more accountable, that God stands in judgment and strikes them down. But with, with the nations of the world, God sits takes his time. So he was saying it's it's not a good idea to be Jewish. The verses themselves, your very Torah indicates 
then you're at a disadvantage for being Jewish. Join us. Become like us. Be like the nations of the world. God won't judge you as much. Amrin Loin. So they said to him, look, you misunderstand the verse. B'shosh HaKadosh Baruch Yisrael. When God judges the people of Israel, Donai son Ma'umud, it's true, he judges them standing. But what does it mean that God stands, as it were, in judgment when it comes to the people of Israel? It means when a person is standing, it means he's on his way out the door. He's ready to go. He's he's gonna do things quickly. He's he's gonna he's gonna be nicer. He's not gonna do it in a way that's so you know sitting, relaxed, taking care of things properly. He's going to just do things to get things out of the way. But he's going to have more Rahmanas, say this, these two particular students of Rabbi Yeshua. Hashem has more mercy on the Jewish people. The fact that he's standing doesn't indicate his anger at the Jewish people. The other way around, it, it indicates that he's going to have mercy on the Jewish people. And he's going to find a way, a loophole for the Jewish people. When he judges the nations of the world, so he sits. He sits down. And he's very careful in the judgment of the nations of the world. And he looks, he extends the judgment in such a way that he finds all the problems, all the things that they've done wrong. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to be part of the nations of the world, said these two students in response to this general. Amr Lahem, so interestingly the general responded and said, you know, I have to tell you the truth. I know something that it seems you don't know because I know what your Rebbe said. Amr Lahem, Rabchem. Are you not aware of what Rabbi Yeshua, your teacher, actually said on these verses? He said, quoted the general, the Greek general said, quotes Rabbi Yeshua and says that both of these verses are actually speaking about the nations of the world. He said, you're correct. He sits first in his judgment of the nations of the world and he does, he does judge the nations of the world slowly and he's careful and he looks at every detail and he is going to get the nations of the world for all they've done wrong. And the standing part also has to do with the nations of the world. After he judges them sitting as a judge, God stands up. God stands up and he acts as the prosecutor. Because God, besides for himself, Besides for being the judge himself, of course, he's the ultimate judge. But he also has a court, a heavenly court that's with him. And he stands before the heavenly court and he prosecutes. He speaks against the nations of the world. So first he sits, and then he stands, as it were. So, the general admits that they're, that they're really correct in understanding these verses that way. And understanding that it's not a good thing. For the nations of the world, it's not so. It's not such a. Uh, it's not so kidai to become a member of the nations of the world. He says 
He brings him another verse which seems to indicate that their approach is wrong. You're sitting and studying Torah. You're rejecting the pursuits of the physical world. You're involved in intellectual pursuits, Torah pursuits, spiritual pursuits. But why don't you agree to the Greek philosophy? We have to develop our physical bodies. We need to work the land. The Pasuk itself says in Mishlei. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19, The one who works the land, he will, have, he will be full with bread. The end of the verse says, If you do empty things, you'll be poor. So the very the King Solomon, the wisest of all men, points out the general. He said, you can't just sit and learn. You can't just study. You can't just be involved in spiritual matters. You need to work the land if you want to eat. If you're involved in empty matters, which I would say you are, as the general is implying, so then, you'll be poor. That's not a praiseworthy thing, it seems, according to King Solomon. Amulai. They said, no, you misunderstand what this verse is speaking about. <laughs> it's not talking about a literal field. It's talking about somebody who is studying the Torah, studying someone who is pluming the depths of what the Torah teaches us of what it means to be spiritual, of what it means to come close to God. And the verse is saying that a person can focus on one piece of land, on one sugi in the Torah, on one particular section of the, of the vast amounts of knowledge that there are. And a person can also spread himself very thin and try to... And try to work every single field that there is in the world. Don't make that mistake. The verse is telling us, It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean a person, a literal, a literal piece of land. It means someone who's studying the Torah. Focus on one topic until you understand it down to its depths. If you want to be satisfied from the lechem, the, the bread of Torah, so then you need to work the land down to its down to the end. Muradif Rakim, Yizbarish, but if you try to get too many different understandings of too many different areas of the Torah, you're gonna end up empty. You'll just end up with lots of holes in the ground. And you won't have benefited completely from the Torah that you studied. That's how they explained it. But it's talking about a spiritual acquisition. It's not talking about the physical realm. Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, wasn't telling us to involve ourselves in physical pursuits all of our lives. Heaven forbid. Amar Lehem, the general, responded and said, You know, I have to tell you what your very teacher said. Are you aware, said the general, that your teacher, Rabbi Yeshua, he said the following understanding of this very verse. It says in the Pasuk, the one who works the, the earth, he understood it doesn't mean to work the earth, literally it means is a, is a person who works, who serves Hashem, who is a servant of God. 
don't read it Admosei, it's land. But read Admosei, until he dies. The person who serves Hashem until he dies. Yizbalech lochem milach That's the person who's going to be satisfied in the world to come. Moradif reikim yizbarish. The person who runs after empty things, he'll just he'll just be empty in the end. The general himself admitted what Rabbi Yeshua said again about the emptiness of the lives of the idolaters of the nations of the world. In the end, they're empty. In the end, they have nothing. They can't. They don't have anything to satisfy themselves with in the world to come, because they have run after avodah idolatries. They've run after the physical idolatries, the gold and the silver. They've run after the money and wealth and all the things that they think will will help them in this world. But ultimately, they're left with nothing. So. In a certain sense, he admitted that they were right. The verse is not just talking about uh, a, a superficial version of reality. It's talking about a deeper version. And finally, he brought them from our verse, and he wanted to understand, why does the verse tell us that when Rachel Imenu was about to pass away, she was having difficulty in labor, she was about to die, what does it mean when the verse says that she was having difficulty in her birth? And then what does the end of the verse say? The end of the verse says, as we quoted earlier, that they told her, they told her, don't worry. Sorry, I have a hard time finding it. Don't worry, you have a, a son. How did they... He asked them, how is Rachel Imenu consoled by the fact that she's about to have a son? She's dying. How is she consoled? And I would say that the implication, the implication that he was saying was, look, what is the result of Rachel Imenu's life? She strove all of her life to have a son, to, to have a Yosef, to have a Binyamin, to have a Chalik in the Jewish people, and then she just dies. So the implication from the general is, you're spending your whole life in spiritual pursuits, and then you just die. Your life in this world is, is, is just, it's so short. You don't even see in this world that the tzaddik, the righteous individual, Rachel Imenu, she didn't live a long life, she died at a very young age. What is the what is the consolation? Amuloi kach mesamsim They said that this is how they encourage a woman. They try to help her that she shouldn't pass away when she's about to die. as she's giving birth, they say to her, "Altiriki ben zachar yaladet." As the Mafurshim explained, what what they were telling her. Was don't worry, you have a son, you're giving birth to a son. And the son, Eitzhah says, Ki ben zachar siman You're not going to die. They, they were trying to encourage her that she shouldn't die. Didn't work out. But don't worry. You're not going to die. There's a simon of life. 
You're having a son. There's a simon of peace. You're having a son. Not just any son. Benjamin Atzadik. Benjamin. And then he says back to them something else. He says, I want to tell you what your teacher darshaned, how he understood this verse. Every single tribe, when each tribe was born, so a twin was born with the tribe, meaning Reuven was born, he had a twin sister born. Shimon was born, a twin sister was born with him. Each of them was born with a twin. And the consolation was, according to Rabbi Shua, according to this general, that she had an extra twin born. Besides for Binyamin, and it seems, besides for the regular twin that was born, a girl that was born alongside each twin, there was another twin, there was triplets. That's what it seems to be saying. So, so what? There's a Nechama. And he was acknowledging the general that when there's a, an accomplishment, when there's a great accomplishment, when a person knows, even as they die, that they are bringing a son, two daughters into the world, members of the Jewish people. And each of these daughters according to the, the Medrash, according to the Meforshim, they, they, married, they married each other, meaning the, each of the Shvatim married their sister, their half-sister. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so what, is the, what is the message? What is the message? And it's so interesting to me that this general... He had the sensitivity. He knew obviously about the Torah. Maybe he was even somebody who had converted to, to, to the Greek way of life. Maybe he himself was a Hellenist, who had originally been a Jew. How did he know this information? My son said it, they were interested in, in information, they were interested in knowledge, so he knew. Maybe he wasn't. But he was somebody who had information, and he, and he was, it was a, it was a, He's willing to let them live if they would stand up for what they believe. And he even understood their side. And what's interesting is he understood that from the Jewish perspective, the spiritual accomplishment is, is worth it. It's worth dying for it. Because that is still life. Right? It's, it's interesting and important to contrast. You see that in the Arab world, they're willing to die for what they believe as well. But they idealize death. We don't idealize death. We idealize life. We idealize life. But still, there's a time when we understand that in the death, there is new life. There's new life that's born. In Rachel Imenu's death, in the potential death of a Torah scholar, in the times of the Greeks, in the times of the Hellenists, they knew that that was how they would bring continued life. Just like Rachel Imenu, just like Rachel, was consoled by the fact that she had so much life that was coming into the world through her death. 
And so sometimes we need to know, sometimes we need to understand, sometimes we need to think about what is our purpose here in life? Is it for this world? Is it so I can accomplish in this world and work the earth? Or is there something deeper going on? And is the, the fact that per, a person is focused as the nations of the world are focused, overly focused on this world, overly focused on the physical realm, overly focused on parnas, on livelihood, overly focused on what's in front of me, unable to focus on the spiritual realms, on the world to come, on the ultimate truth, on what happens in the future, on the life that we're giving birth to through our children, through teaching them the Torah, through the accomplishments that we have, which produce a life in the world to come. Is that what's important to us? That's the difference between us and the nations of the world. And from Rachel Imenu we learn, she, she had a hard death. She had a hard birth. But still, there's a consolation. Sometimes we have challenges in life. Sometimes in order to do what's right, it's hard. It's hard to live in Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's hard to live in the land of Israel. It's a challenge. People come here and they go through difficult times. And some people can't hack it and they go back. And some people continue on despite it all and they succeed. Anything good, anything spiritual, anything that has to do with the future of Am Yisrael, there is a bakshaisa. There is a there is a difficulty that we have to pass through. But the, but it produces. That's the nechama. It produces. It's hard to be an immigrant. It's hard to be an English speaker in the land of Israel. My kids speak Hebrew. Baruch Hashem, they grew up here. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for them as well. They're children of immigrants. But it's less of a challenge. And for their children it will be even less of a challenge. But the point is that in order to get where we want to get to, which is the future, which is life. We have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be willing to recognize that it's about that future. And we're investing in that future. I want to bless you and ask you to bless me. Hashem should help us. That we should be able to understand that Hashem judges us differently when our focus is on what's right. And that Hashem wants us to, to work to serve Him, to be a servant of Him, and not a servant to the ideals of the nations of the world. And Hashem should help us to recognize that when we do so, so the result is an incredible consolation. It's a, it's a production of a spiritual, an incredible spiritual result. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos. This podcast was made possible through the gracious donations of listeners like you. For more podcasts like this, please visit www.arigoldwag.com or search on iTunes, Ari Goldwag.